Hello, this is the final instalment of The Moment with Kelly Cates and Jeff Thomas that we're dropping down the Athletic Football podcast feed ahead of that show's return on Monday the 13th of June. What you're about to hear is a conversation with Troy Townsend, the head of development at Kick It Out and the father of six children, including the Everton winger Andros Townsend. Here, Troy reflects on the death of his son Curtis in a car accident in 2001 and how he and his family coped with the tragedy. The Athletic Can you remember the one moment that changed your life forever? The moment that put everything in perspective. I'm Kelly Cates. And I'm Jeff Thomas. And in this series, we're sharing the stories of sports people who've experienced and overcome moments of adversity. This is The Moment. In 2003, after a 20-year career in football, playing for the likes of Crystal Palace, Wolves, and England, I was diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia. I was given just three months to live, but after two years of treatment and a stem cell transplant, I overcame the disease. Our guests will share how their lives have been shaped by times of adversity and how those experiences have made them the people they are today. I wanted to speak to fellow sports people to find out how, like me, they overcame these moments. In this episode, I would ignore phone calls. I would not, I would not do things for the purpose of not seeing people in an environment because the topic of conversation was going to be, "How are you?" Just very kindly, "How are you? How are you doing?" I couldn't engage with those topics of conversation, and it's it's been a journey. It's been a journey a bit. Troy Townsend is at the forefront of the fight for equality and diversity in football in his role as Head of Development at charity Kick It Out. As a proud father, he's followed every step of son Andros Townsend's career as a professional footballer. But in 2001, Troy's life was changed forever when his eldest son Curtis was tragically killed in a car accident on the way to a match. 20 years later, Troy is still coming to terms with the devastating impact that his loss has had. But he wanted to talk to us in the hope that his openness may help others who are also struggling to cope with bereavement. Troy, let's start there. Just just start by telling me about about your family, about about your kids, because they're Curtis, then Andros, then Nadine, isn't it? Well, you've got some of them. You haven't got yeah. all of them. Um, I've got six children, obviously. Uh, we'll, we'll get to talk about Curtis soon. Um, five of them, starting with my oldest, Tashon. Next in line is Nicole, who's um, just got engaged, by the way. So she'll be pleased that I've mentioned that. Um, then Andros as the middle one. Um, Daryl and then Nadine as the baby, although she's 28. Um, but she, she still classes the baby as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah, um, all very, like, sporty from, from a young age. Um, and then obviously had the pleasure of, of you know, Andros and Curtis going through a footballing system as Deshaun did as well. But um, very close as a family unit. I wasn't close with my mum and dad and my brother. So appreciating, you know, what family does for you and what having so many siblings and, and just their interactions at different stages of the point where they don't need mum and dad anymore is is amazing to be totally honest so yeah really proud of, of all the children no matter what they're doing and proud of what they've become to be totally honest so in 2001 where where was everybody what was what was everybody doing at the time so in 2001 everyone was growing up um they were young children you know, on the, on the journey as such, um, Curtis being the oldest, um, Curtis was with another partner. Um, so he was my first child with another partner at a young age. And then Nina, who's my partner now, who has been for quite a long time, obviously. We were just in a house in East London doing the things that parents do, the youngsters doing what they do, splitting our attention to, you know, football here, football there, dance here, dance there crazy to be totally honest how we managed to get everyone to everywhere that they needed to be few sacrifices along the way obviously you know can't go dance today Andrews has got a game out in somewhere or Tashon has got a game out somewhere else but also making sure that the boys took notice of what the girls wanted to achieve as well 
And at the time, the girls were were on their journey of, of dance and, and, you know, they wanted to, like, they saw their careers there almost. Um, and so the boys had to uh, make sure that, you know, when there were dance shows and stuff like that, that they came along and, and showed the support that they'd had in their football careers, obviously giving them extra chocolate and popcorn and stuff like that to help them through the process. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we were just, uh, listen, we were, we were just a family doing family things, I suppose, you know. I'm not from a big family. So again, the extended family on, on my missus side was nice to have, you know, nice to be able to be in that big family environment and um, just lovely to see the interactions between, you know, our family's children and my missus got three sisters. So, you know, their children as well. And yeah, just nothing out of the ordinary, nothing. I think every household, you know, that has kids will, would be the same in regards to, you know, making sure that they they enjoyed their childhood and, and, and did the things that they enjoyed doing, particularly when they, they weren't at school. Troy, do, have your girls carried on in that world of dance or anything? Because I've got two girls and I did the same thing, doing that taxi into dance. And I oh, think Jeff. when they reached a certain age, they were so glad to be old enough to tell me, why? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny isn't it Jeff because no they're not still in it my oldest Nicole became a dance teacher as well so in the school that she was going she then taught dance as well um but you, you, you're right they almost got to a certain stage and they kind of said right that's enough of that now uh, let's go and explore what the rest of the world can give us you know and my oldest Nicole works for the NHS uh youngest is an accountant they kind of just drifted into various ways but the one common denominator is the fact that they love their football. They love their brothers and their football um, as much as they can alongside us. We'll, we'll go to every single game, no matter where it is in, in the country. Um, and I suppose that that's how we've connect, you know, kept that family kind of vibe away from the households because two of the three or two of the five have moved out now. So they're doing their own thing. They're running their own households and, you know, have their own children now. So, we have grandchildren as well now to, to to show us again what family life is all about, I suppose. And um, yeah, having young grandchildren honestly has taken, I think I look younger for it as well, maybe because I can give them back at a certain stage, but we've got five now and, it, and it, it's really been an amazing journey. So tell me, because what you're describing is, is such a close family unit. I know you're saying it's like any other family, but you sound particularly tight and, and you've described why that was so important to you to have a family set up like that. So tell me more about Curtis. What what was he like? Curtis, a special young man. As, as, and that's, you know, as a parent, you'd say that about any of your children, wouldn't you? But that's the, the voices of other people, you know. Um, such a respectful young man, obviously, again, whole life totally dominated by football um, and wanting to be a professional footballer and, just uh, listen the, the 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 most beautiful child who grew into a really really beautiful young man who was adored by his neighbors by his school friends by like just anybody who came into contact with him and you know I know this is not a phrase used anymore as such but someone said it to me the kind of person who'd cross the road to help an older kind of states person to, you know, with their shopping or, you know, just to make sure that they cross the road properly. Um, so very, very proud of the way that he grew up. Um, very proud of what he was trying to achieve. You know, eventually he came to work for me in my sports development company and he played for my football club as well because I was a non-league manager as well. And just when I see, you know, images of him and I, I always smile first thing I do is I always smile because like I said the young person he was growing into and you know it's tough times for our young people and it was tough times back then as well so to, to hear the kind of ways people spoke about him the respect they spoke about him with and still do made me a very proud father and obviously very proud parents um, at the time. You sound like you had a really special relationship with him. Kelly it was broken a little bit to be totally honest um like I said, me and his mum split up and, and there were difficult times and we kind of re-engaged a little bit further down in his in his teenage years. And if there's going to be any regrets, it would be 
the way that we were as parents and how we split, which meant that I didn't get the access that, you know, I really wanted to. But when, when we just, you know, finally put all that aside and finally grew, it was just amazing. You know, it was, I'll never forget the day that he came over and just said, look, I've been released by Wimbledon. It was at the time. And he was lost. He was kind of lost in his own mind. And he's, he's a young man, you know, he's 16, 17. And it wasn't a problem because on a football sense and on a work sense, dad would look after you, you know, you'd listen, I can give you work so you can become a PE teacher. And why don't you just come and play for me in non-league football for a little while to get your confidence back up, your self-esteem back there and then fly the roost, you know, and then, you know, once your, your, your confidence is there and your back, flying then you know you go and do your thing but I suppose it was that that instinct of wanting to smother him without smothering him as such you know but I wanted to make sure that he knew that there were so many things he could still achieve in his young life and I could present quite a lot of them to him and obviously coming into when he used to come around to the house and you know the the younger ones are showing that same desire in regards to being footballers as such and they looked up to him um, it was just, uh, honestly, I, I probably can't describe properly the emotion of seeing all my kids together and seeing them, you know, interact and play. So Curtis's birthday is the same day as my youngest, Nadine, as well. So they're both born on the same day. And again, seeing them share a birthday cake, seeing them open presents up at the same time and just I can't describe it properly. Um, you probably can see it in my face. People won't hear it in my voice. But yeah, just just those almost like they were meant to be. It was meant to be that way. The oldest and the youngest born on the same day, um, on the same date. You know, it's just crazy. But yeah, we. I, I wanted to make sure that he was okay because I, I have an experience being released and rejected in football. I know what it does to you as a young person, particularly if you don't have the right people around you to kind of get you back on the ladder and, and unfortunately I didn't but I wanted to make sure that obviously Curtis did and 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 when it's happened to, to Andros and to Sean as well that they did as well. So you'd, you'd scooped him up you were sort of protecting your boy and you were making sure that, that he was going to be he was going to be all right but then talk me through what happened on on the day of the the 15th of December. <sighs> Well, the easiest thing to say is I remember it like yesterday and it's 20 years this year. Um, so he always used to come round uh, so that we went football together. So I'm the manager. He's my right back, um, you know, so he would come round, get ready um, and we'd be on our way, you know, play for Chesney. He played for Chesney. I was a manager of Chesney Football Club. So we'd go to the uh, ground together and normally we'd either we'd either get a coach or we'd be in the same car together normally with the the chairman but on this day it was a is it 15th of december it was a very cold day um ice um there was the possibility of the game being called off so we went to we drove to the ground and we always stop at a, a, a little calf which is just around the corner from the ground for a little pre-match as they say but i don't think this was a pre-match but you know, we'd go and get a roll and a sandwich or, or whatever it may be to keep us, uh, you know, for the journey ahead. And we were travelling to Barton Rovers, which was in Luton, on the way to Luton. And Kurt never got out of the car that day. And it was like, we always, I'm trying to explain this properly. So we'd always, you know, go into the calf, um, you know, order what we want to order and, and come back into the car and and go around to the ground. It's literally a two-minute drive away from the ground. But he didn't he didn't get out of the car that day for some reason. And I wasn't sure what that reason was. He says he says he wasn't hungry or anything. So which is fine. You know, I didn't think anything at the time. But I always remember it now. I just remember it that he he didn't get out of the car. So we went to the ground and um we normally have a a minibus or a coach in it and it wasn't ordered that day because in all intents and purposes, we felt the game was going to be off. So the, the, the chairman and the board decided that if we were going to travel, we'd travel by cars. Wasn't a problem. We were sitting in the car park. We were waiting. I think everyone had kind of just got it into this mindset that we weren't going to play the game today. And then we get a late call. 
referees done the inspection, the game's on. Remember, we're in we're in non-league football. We're we're not even at the highest end. We're in the middle section of non-league football. So a referee can call a game on at a minute's notice or off, and off you go. So we decided to travel. And I remember like almost waiting for Kurt to come into the chairman's car. But he was in the back seat of the guy that picked us up on the day, our centre half. He was in the back seat of the car and he kind of said, I'm all right here. But again, it's cool. You know, you don't want to make no big thing anyway. I'm the father, but I'm also the manager. I don't want to show anything other than, you know, that kind of respect and, and, and not overpowering. So, listen, we're on our way. So we've all got the route. As anyone in non-league will know, there's this parade of cars that are, are setting off, but we're not going around the corner. We're going to Luton. We arrived at the ground. So I'm, I'm cutting a piece of the story out because there's no conversation. We're, we're in a car going to a game. So that's as for warring cars going to a game, fleet of cars. We get to the ground, I think about quarter to two, which is in good time, um, 10 to two, something like that. And at five, so they've not followed. The, we've lost some along the way and, and we're all coming in and you, you, know, you count the cars come in and Kurt's car's not come in. And two o'clock uh, is team sheet time. Um, so I've put them in the original team sheet. There's four players in that car. I've put them all in the original team sheet because I'm expecting them to drive through at any moment. <sighs> Ten past two, still nothing. Players are getting changed. So I make a phone call to Kurt. Right. And he's not, it's gone straight to voicemail. And I've made a phone call and I, I regret this. I can't. I said, where are you? I'm, I'm actually shouting. Like, where are you lot? Like, we're here. Team sheet's been put in. Where are you? And then, like, I was a bit concerned. That doesn't go straight to voicemail. But you're kind of, okay, well, still, you're not thinking the worst at all. You're always thinking that, I don't know, they've been delayed. They've taken the wrong turn. They're, they're I don't know, whatever it may be. We've actually kicked off without them. So, four players down I think that meant we had 11 players on the park and we've kicked off without them and my whole focus and concentration is on the entrance to the ground so I'm not even I'm not invested in, I've got to be honest I'm not invested in the game I'm just, I'm just looking at the, the the entrance waiting to see the car come in potentially have a go where have you been what happened whatever we come in at half time and now I now cannot remember the 90 minutes of football at all. So like I've said to you the day, I can remember the day like yesterday, I can't remember the 90 minutes of football. And I remember the end, we lost two, I can't remember the 90 minutes of football, it was a defeat, we lost 2-0, didn't matter. And I remember there being a little scuffle at the end of the game because I don't think I was myself at this period of time and I got involved and I don't think I was myself because half of me is still wondering where they are. And again, I'm not thinking any of the worst thoughts at all. And as, as I entered the changing room, because it had kind of gone in between into the changing room, someone said to me, um, you've got to get to the hospital straight away. That's why? Uh, that's all I know. You've got to get to the hospital straight away. So I remember one of the players saying, Troy, just jump in the car with us and, and run our way. So I'm now getting nervous. I'm now not sure what I'm going to find when I get to the hospital. Um, and again, probably in this kind of state of loss. So trying to comprehend what may have happened, but also the journey to the hospital seemed like the longest journey in the world. And it probably... Well, I don't even know how long it was, to be totally honest. It just seemed like the longest journey in the world. We get to the hospital and I get met by a police officer. And the first thing I asked him was, what's wrong? What's happened? And he's not responded. And I took that as a very, very telling sign because he, he didn't even say, I can't tell you. I just took it as a very telling sign. So I'm now walking behind them, really nervous but still not expecting to hear what I heard when I, when I got into the room. Um, and the minute I got into the room, they literally just said, Kurt's died in a car accident. I know, I'm really sorry. 
Take your time, Troy. I, I remember falling to the ground. But you know the worst thing? The worst thing was having to ring his mum, who had said goodbye to her son, leaving him in my care to go football as he would normally do every Saturday, Tuesday and Thursday. And ringing his mum and someone else picking up the phone and me demanding to speak to her at the time. And the person on the end of the phone was saying, like, why, why, what's happened? And I said, I can't, I can't tell you. I need, to, I need to talk to Maria, her name was. And then just having to tell her and hearing the reaction over the phone was, you know, two of the worst things. So hearing the news and then having to relay the news was like the worst thing that could ever happen. Um, and then she's on her way to loot. And then I don't even know how long it took her, but I don't know how people knew because my phone just started to go absolutely mad. And the people that were in the, so I'm trying to remember who was in the room with me. There was two people in the room with me. I can't even remember who they were, but my phone, they, they kept saying, your phone, your phone, your phone, your phone. And I only picked the phone up once. And that was to my business partner at the time. And I don't know how he knew he's also in football. He was manager of, of Snowtown football club. I actually remember he said to me, you know, on the first Kurt's first few games, let me have him. And I said, nah, you're not having my son. Like we're business partners. I said, nah, you're not having no, you do what you do. You got money. I haven't got money. I need Kurt playing for me. And I now regret that as well because I kind of think, well, if I'd let Kurt go to Steve, he wouldn't have been in a car on December the 15th with me, you know. Steve got there. Listen, he was the person, without Steve, I don't even think I'd be here today, to be totally honest. He got there very quickly. He shielded all the calls. He was just like, I don't know how you would react. You know, no one ever tells you this is how you react in a situation like this. But all I know is that my business partner, my best friend, was there like doing everything that probably needed to be done. And by that time, uh, my missus had got up, you know, like I say, my ex-partner, Kurt's mum, got up and everything then just goes into a blur. When they take you to see, so you get to see Kurt. And he's the, so he's, he's not marked, if I'm going too graphic, let me know, he's, he's not marked at all. Um, it's just the, the perfect, the human being who I knew, you know, so he was just there, Kurt, just laying down, but not responsive, unfortunately. So I, yeah, I remember Steve took me that evening to get fresh air and we fell asleep in the car outside of McDonald's. Um, probably for about two hours, just slept in the car. Just, we didn't mean to, we were talking, we were, but just fell asleep in the car for two hours. That's probably the only two hours sleep I had until the funeral, to be totally honest. So it's so many parts of the day are so clear in my mind. And then so many parts of the day, I'm still 20 years, it will be this year, as I've mentioned on, trying to find out in my own head the kind of sequence of events. Um, but I know it's 209. Now I remember the phone call I made, which was about 208 or 209, the same thing, which sends me into the worst kind of thought process that I left that voicemail at that time. Um, which honestly, I, I, I think I've continued to beat myself up over that I left the voicemail at the same time of the impact of the crash. Kurt was the only fatality. The other three, two of them never played football again. One of them, an ex-professional, Boise, who'd done his, I don't know, his hip, his groin and, and everything because of the impact. The other, I mean, listen, they all played 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. Sorry. It's, it sounds like you, you, even talking before that, you know, the, the relationship you had with him, you know, through your breakup with your marriage, like you, you've got a lot what ifs. But that that must be hard, you know, when you're thinking, you're, you're listing all them what ifs, but, you know, it's it's a real sad moment, isn't it? A ha- accidents happen, unfortunately, and then, then we've got victims of that as well. But it's like listening to you, it's like it was yesterday or even today, you know, it's the... the, the and how how did you move on from from this? Or obviously... You know, did was the world of football there to help, or who was there to help you try and step forward? The what ifs. You're right about the what ifs, Jeff. There's, there's the what ifs have always remained. You know, and, and I'm, it's me. I, I, I don't kick anyone else about it. I just kick myself. Um, who was there? Steve, as I've mentioned who unfortunately has passed away now as well. And that's another thing, but he was just the rock family internally, obviously. Um, football wasn't there. Uh, football wasn't there at all. Um, I stepped back, obviously, from my obligations with the football club because I wasn't in the right space. I used to run a, my own academy uh, for young players, to be fair, that group of Parents and players and and people that worked in that environment, the volunteers were amazing. You know, they didn't. There was no pressure from them. I even went to see them one Sunday morning. Um, they didn't expect me, but I felt that I needed to be in a footballing environment somewhere somehow. Um, I was treated horrendously by the football club, the football club that I was a manager of, the football club that Kurt wore, wore the shirt. I was treated horrendously by them. Um, what happened? You know, I needed time away. Well, I, I tell you, I needed time away. How how long is that period of time? There's no time scale. But they were very quickly looking at getting a new manager in. Um, and people were telling me this. Now, that's obviously any employee's right, to be fair. But the devastation of what had happened to me, what had happened to Kurt, his teammates what they were having to go through because they were very close. They were a young group of players. They were very close as young people. And for them to say, well, we've given him long enough, but we think we need a manager. It was just like, they kind of finished me off. We got to a cup final that year. Um, and they asked for me to be the manager on the day, which I did out of respect for Kurt, but we won and the players won it for Kurt. But, I wasn't there. I wasn't really there, you know, and kind of ended all my obligations after that. But to be honest, I, I haven't recovered. So I know I haven't recovered. I'm battling myself all the time. There's been many a good person who has said great words to me and offered words of comfort. Um, I didn't go and see anybody at the time, so... There were many talks of, you know, you need to go and see someone, Troy, what, what you're doing is, or what you're putting yourself through, sorry, is not right. You need some kind of counselling. And I wasn't an open person. I was never an open person. So I was never going to share my inner thoughts with anybody who I didn't know. And that's not being disrespectful to whoever that person would be on the other side. It was just me growing up. I was never open as a young person. So that kind of developed through my life. It's funny because after Steve passed four years ago from cancer and I was reliving all the same things that I'd relived with Kurt, that I'd lived through Kurt. And I cannot tell you, Steve was a brother. He wasn't a business partner. He wasn't a close friend. He was a brother. Um, so when he passed, I was living all the same things. I couldn't work. I was lost almost at a period of time. And it's that the time that someone said, you know, you need to go and see a counsellor. And uh, I did, against all my best wishes, to be totally honest, and all my best thoughts. And no one told me about what the experience of seeing a counsellor is. I've never been to a counsellor. So he's a really nice guy, really nice. And I remember going into his room, sitting down, great welcome, going, sitting down. 
And then that's it. He didn't say a word. Now, I'm thinking, does that mean I have to talk? Or I don't know where to start this conversation. And obviously, it's a magnificent kind of tool that counsellors has because it almost pressures you. Not pressured in the way that I, I, you know, not like if you don't talk, you, you know, it, it was just the silence meant that you spoke. But I didn't start at Steve. I started 16 years back with Kurt. And honestly, well, I think I broke down within 10 minutes, but the experience of seeing the counsellor on that day meant that I shut myself off to everybody for another three days. So I didn't go to work, shut myself into my room, didn't speak to anybody, didn't answer the phone, didn't do anything. But then I had to go and see the counsellor again. He was very good at putting in meetings very quickly. So I had to go and see him again. When I go and see him again this time, I bump into two ex-players, one as I'm walking in and one as I'm in. And the road that you're on, you're only going to one place. You're only, sorry, one current player, one ex-player. You're only going to one place. I know them both. And I think we were all a little bit sheepish around the fact that we bumped into each other, one on the road, and we spoke about everything but what we were doing, you know, and the second time seemed to be a lot better. You know, my boss rung me afterwards. I remember speaking to her and I would not have done that on the first occasion. So I seemed a little bit better. Maybe I was catching up with where I was in space. The third time was similar to the first time. So this was the following week, but it wasn't as impactful. So I shut myself away for one day, you know, and the fourth time, which was the final time, was a time that he said to me, um, I've got some dates for next week. Can you make it? And I said, let me get back to you because I've got a bit of work to do. And I used that as an excuse not to go back. It was nothing to do with the counsellor. It was all to do with me. I couldn't go through the emotion that, he's, that he'd taken me through in a four-session period. I couldn't do that again. And it's funny because this Christmas, so that was four years ago, this Christmas he texts me out just randomly out the blue. How are you doing? Like it threw me. And anyone that knows me, the Christmas period is not my best period, obviously because of Kurt. And he texts me randomly out the blue and just said, how are you doing? And to this day, I haven't responded because I didn't know how to respond. And I feel bad at times. I even feel kind of, bad sharing it a little bit I feel really bad but and because I'm going to stress again I don't know how to evaluate counsellors but he he was all right he'd gone through a journey himself you know and he was all right but I I, I want to say to him at some stage this is not you this is about me and this is about me not enjoying the not say not enjoying the experience but having problems with the experience that you obviously have to put me through to find out a little bit about me as a human being. I suppose it kind of evaluated to the fact that I still wasn't truly ready to, to go through that experience again, to see where I was going to come out. Yeah. And, and I don't know, sometimes I can talk quite a bit. Sometimes I'm lost, you know, I'm, I'm talking to the both of you now. And I think what I'm showing is what I've done for myself over the last three or four years which is being able to talk about this. I couldn't have spoken about this five years ago. I couldn't have spoken about the experience of losing Kurt five years ago. I could not have spoken about it, whether that's right or wrong, whether that's me keeping things in that I shouldn't. I could not have spoken about that experience. But I have done more lately um, than what I've ever done, whether that's through the pen, as they say, um, or whether that's through doing you know similar things to this, this and only one other is probably the where I've explained the day the most in detail. I can't say it provides comfort, but I know that there's people out there that I'm, I've realised now that I've had shared experiences that can take one, two, I don't know how many things away, but I feel better within myself for sharing my experience, I suppose. Troy, you talk about the responsibility that, that you feel about not getting back in touch with your, your counsellor, that you, you've taken that on. And you talk about 
the responsibility that that you feel around Curtis and the what ifs and the way that you beat yourself up about certain points in that day, particularly certain things that could have gone differently. Is there a part of you that understands that there was nothing that you could do, that this isn't your responsibility, it's not your fault? No, because I keep going back to the what ifs that Jeff mentioned. So, you know, even I've heard it many times, Kelly, that same thing. What could you have done? You wasn't driving the car. You wasn't the person in the other car who, by the way, was uninsured. Um, But I remember going to court. I remember going to the police station. And they obviously show you, well, I'm, I'm I'm saying this as if everyone knows, but they show you kind of what they believed happened. Um, and they have images as well. This is not an answer to your question, but this is probably the space that I was in that Kurt died immediately, apparently. Um, his, his mother was really pleased about that. And I say really pleased in the sense that he didn't suffer. You know, there's elements of me that were thinking I'd rather he be here, you know, so that again, that process of taking care of him and, and we could, do, uh, whether I'm, what I'm saying is right or wrong, that's part of the what ifs. What if he was here, you know, the, the listen, it threw my mental state everywhere, everywhere. Um, from, staying in a hotel room and looking up at the the lighting and thinking that would be good to, to rip the cord down and, and, and end it to being at a train station and making what I thought was the last call waiting for the train to come over and trying to end it that way because I, just, I don't know I just felt that I was responsible I took the responsibility on me and I didn't think anyone would miss me not being here, you know. So my 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 mental state wasn't great, and it, I think my mental state was impacted from almost being, you know, driven out of the game, kicked out of the game, as not being good enough. I class myself as a failure, but I didn't know where I was. This is when I truly understood what was going on up there, and it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. Um, and a mess that I was trying to get rid of and a mess that I felt was responsible or contributed to Kurt's passing, you know. Um, and it remains a mess, I think, but it, it's it's a mess that is kind of organised a little bit rather than just being a mess and all over the place. Um, but I know even when I finish this, Kelly, I, I, I can't go back to work for a little bit. I, I, I'm going to have to call off the rest of my day because... This, I wanted to do it and I wanted to do it for the reasons that were presented and I fought long and hard to be totally honest um, when David first made contact but these are the things that I don't want to keep inside anymore these are the things that I, I want to express and be able to share you know but it won't ease the pain so the pain is rigid it's there it, it, it aches but it may help and I suppose Anyone, listen, anyone that knows me knows that I'm the kind of person that if I can help someone, I will. And maybe I'll never know who this could help at all, to be totally honest, but it, it's the space that I'm in. Is that why you feel like you want to talk for you and potentially for, for other people? I don't think it's for me. <sighs> Sorry if I've got... <sighs> maybe it is. Maybe it is in a, in a in a weird weird sense. Maybe it is. It's more about other people, though. I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a selfish individual. I don't. I don't. I often don't do things for my benefit. I work in an industry that does nothing for my benefit, so I don't see it as doing it for my benefit. But there's got to be some kind of healing within it, and I think. 
I think I've been searching for healing without ever finding it. Um, so if listen through the the impact of of Kurt's death or through my own mental well-being experiences if if it means that someone is feeding off of some of the, my words and you know can resonate with them and 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 they can put an action plan. it might might not work for me but if it works for someone else then I'm okay with that I, I, I'm, I'm okay with that do you think that's that's the difference between talking in something like this compared to talking to the counsellor who you haven't got back in touch with because that's that is just about you yeah, you've probably identified something there that I've never thought about. So I've never thought about <laughs> the counsellor wanting to cure me as such or support me. But now you mention it in comparison to doing something like this and whoever may listen to this. For me, that that's all that matters. And in a sense, like I said just now, is that in a way my kind of healing as well that words will resonate but maybe they don't inwardly to myself because i carry the pain i remember a friend a friend saying to me life goes on that's the worst thing that they could ever have said to me worst thing and i think they were being genuine they were you know they weren't doing it but it's the worst thing i've gone to see them in their workplace of work and i quickly said see you later bye because at that stage, I wasn't ready for the life moves on shout. And I don't think I'm ever going to be ready. I don't think life ever moves on when you lose somebody, particularly in the circumstances that we lost Kurt, particularly as he was so young. Um, and that hurt. That that might as well have pushed me in front of something at that stage because that really hurt. Um, and that was at the stage when I was crossing the road so if I knew someone, I would cross the road because I didn't want to engage in conversation because I know what they're going to talk about. I would ignore phone calls. I would not I would not do things for the purpose of not seeing people in an environment because the topic of conversation was going to be, how are you? Just very kindly, how are you? How are you doing? I couldn't engage with those topics of conversation. And it's 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 been a journey. It's been a journey in a bit. I mean, I've not been touched personally, but I've been through something that's introduced me to people who have lost, you know, sat next to people who have lost their fight with cancer. And the way I coped with them, I, I, I think I put that in a box and tried to separate it because it hurts, because they become like family, because you, you talk about something really personal, the battle that you're going through. And I think the work that I do today is in their name and but it also personally helps me mentally because I went to a funeral last week Jeff Hill who people who uh, know in the in the world of media a, a fantastic guy gone far too early at the age of 51 well that really brought all the emotion of what I've been through right from 2003 and you you People handle things differently, and it's, it, it is a way of trying to separate from you know yourself from everything that's gone on, and and try not to sort of hurt yourself because there is nothing more that you can do. But what you're doing today is helping people that have been through something similar, and listen to your story. It will just open up them to finding help. And I, I really do hope that you can find some way of going to that next step because, you know, me and Kelly see your pain and feel your pain. And I think it's, um, like Kelly says, it's, it's not your fault. But I understand as a father that you're always looking for what ifs. You do that anyway in the relationship with your kids anyway. But um, no, I just hope that you do find that, that path that helps you, you heal. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's, it's also in terms of the, the healing, and obviously your stories are, 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 are very different, but I think it's, it's an interesting 
point that Jeff, you went on to set up the charity and you raise money and you go, you know, you, you, you dealt with your situation and by trying to help people. And, and Troy, it's interesting the way that, that your career has gone through to kick it out, where again, you're there as a support for, for other people. Did you ever, do you ever think about that, about the, the choices that you've, you've made and, and how your, your story is part of that? More so lately, more so lately in, in regards to, because I have been more open and realising that I think, I don't know, some quirky things have happened. You know, I generally believe Kurt's here anyway. I generally believe he's around us. I generally believe he supported our journey as a family, you know, and, and he still is so invested in Andros's career to this very day, you know, because I know Andros, you know, he's, he's a baby as such when Kurt passed, you know, but again, it was his big brother, his big half-brother, whatever way you want to call it, well, I'll just say brother, um, and was looking up to him because, you know, he wanted to follow his journey. And I think, I don't know, I just think more so now that the things that I've done over the last, and I was a PE teacher, so I run my own business with Steve, uh, for 15 years, providing you know PE teachers with uh, sorry schools with with PE teachers, my connection with young people it's kind of been a theme in my life, um, and you know helping young people, particularly in regards to their sport, where academically they're being maybe a little bit ostracised because they're not bright, they're not engaging, but yet you see them excel when they get out onto the green grass, whether that's football, cricket, athletics, whatever it may be. We're providing opportunity for their for their skill set to grow. And that's always been me. I think that's been instilled in me. I think this last part of my journey, which has been 10 years now at Kick It Out, I think Kurt would be really proud that I've proactively moved into a space or away from the, the on-grass stuff that I used to do into now being an advocate for change, but also into supporting the journeys of young people. And I feel that in a, in, a, in a little way, I've been driven into this space for a purpose, um, for a positive purpose, for a positive reason. I'm not saying that working in football in my space is always positive, but I try to take the positives out of it. Um, but I do believe I've been guided here. Um, and from the young man that used to have to go to Sunday school with his mum rather than go to football, um, and I was forced into Sunday school, by the way, um, <laughs> I kind of think that, you know, from that period to to now, there's there's been a journey that I've 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 been a part of that I've not been in control of, but I've been a part of. And when I say not in control, because if I was in control, Kurt would be sitting by my side. We wouldn't even be doing this because I wouldn't have a story to tell. But definitely been driven into this path for the right reasons and and continuing to hold my head up proud when maybe I want my head to be lowered, continuing to, to be a voice for many when actually I need someone to be the voice for me, maybe at times, you know. Um, but I can deal with those stuff because I close the door and I shut off, but many people can't do that. Many people can't be heard. Many people are suffering in our game and they have no one to spit at. I, I can't say this enough and the experience listen the other day I'm, I'm on my way to Doncaster and I'm getting on at King's Cross to get the train and a taxi has stopped and I'm walking across and the taxi driver's gone Mr Townsend I said oh, please don't call me Mr that's, that's, that's the worst thing you could do I like he went no I recognise you and he literally just for the next two minutes I'm nearly late for my train was just like thank you for everything that you do and this is when we don't know who we impact on because I, I don't know him from anywhere, but he just said, thank you for everything you do. Um, you know, people like us, people like me were saying, appreciate it because we don't have the platform that you have, um, but you're definitely doing it on behalf of us. And, and, and we thank you 
And I suppose it's times like that when you realise the enormity of what you do and you realise why you do what you do. You do it for people's voices are not heard or can't be heard. And I suppose that is my calling or that has been my calling and I'm happy to do it and I'm happy to, for whatever that reason may be as to why I'm here, to, to keep doing it um, and to continue probably to be an annoying figure to some but definitely to be a, a voice for, for others. How did that make you feel when he said all that to you? Emotional, without showing it to him. But emotional to almost say, you know, we get a lot of stick in this industry and I've taken a lot of personal stick for talking about racism, by the way. And I suppose it's at that stage when you realise the stick means nothing, doesn't mean a thing. I, listen, I often say that I can't be hurt any more than I've been hurt in my life anyway. So when people want to have a go, target, do what they say about me because I'm trying to make the game a fairer place, they can't hurt me any more than what I've been hurt. So they can work away. But just hearing a member of the public just say that and realise that it's an importance to, to him and his family means more than, than, than any stick that I get for sure and just reaffirms that you touch people what, what I've said here today you touch people that you'll, you'll probably never ever meet them or never know them or they won't know how to, to thank me for sharing my story and for me that outweighs all the negative stuff absolutely it takes such strength and, and courage to be able to talk like that. So thank you so much, Troy, for, for talking to us. It's my pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Troy. Thank you for listening to The Moment, brought to you by The Athletic. If you were affected by anything you heard in today's episode and would like to speak to someone in confidence, you can call The Samaritans for free, anytime, day or night, on 116123.